Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Pretty good? Good? Not so bad? Nice and cool? It's really awesome. Got to meet some people visiting us from Texas, and apparently it's colder there, but, you know, it's pretty sweet. That was a pleasure. Uh, man, it is crazy being up here before you guys. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, I'm so excited just to be here. I'm honored and blessed just to see everybody's faces. You guys will probably be seeing my face turn different shades of red throughout the day just because, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. <laughs> Anyways, we I have the pleasure to give the conclusion message to the Sermon on the Mount, the most amazing sermon that was ever preached. Awesome, awesome words from Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and just, uh, the, the term that I found helpful is he's just drawing new lines in the sand. You know, in those movies, they're saying like, all right, like if you if you're going to stand up for this cause, you cross this line, you know, and all the tough guys are like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that thing. And Jesus is essentially without doing that tough thing metaphor. He didn't need to show his toughness because Jesus, as I love to say, was tough, but he also was tender. And he's that perfect example for us to follow and that perfect example for just people to look to and just be amazed at. Um, so, yeah, at uh, first when I heard I was going to be preaching on Sunday, I was terrified. Um, but but the next bit, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really excited. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. What am I going to be teaching on? And, uh, you know, I looked at the sermon title and it was swearing and getting even. And I was like, uh, first reaction was like, yeah, all right, all right. But, you know, it might sound good to a couple of us, but we're not... Obviously, we're not learning how to swear and get even today. <laughs> a few of you guys are like, eh, all right. Some of us may already know how to swear and get even. So for those of you, it might be a very helpful message. Um, we're learning the perspective, the correct perspective on swearing and getting even. And that is Jesus's perspective that's just the correct perspective to always have. So, uh, Jesus said in previous verses of Matthew, uh, talking about marriage, adultery, and divorce, it made a few people uncomfortable back then. Uh, Jeff, last week, gave us a message that may have made a few of us uncomfortable today. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the thing was, it, doesn't it make you mad? You know, because he's calling us to a higher standard of living. It's like, I don't know if I can do that. But it's Jesus. We're not... We're not really going to shoot for something that's mediocre. You know, we're shooting for perfection. So that's an interesting thing. Um, Jesus on the scene. See the new lines. The new lines. No gray area, as they say. That 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 area is the area that you're like, you know, I'm not sinning, but you know, I'm getting a little close. You know, how close to the line can I get before I fall off the cliff? You know, another thing is I feel like whenever anyone gets up here and speaks, Jeff, Eric in particular, he always like wanders around and like, it looks like he's about to step off the edge and it's just like, ah! <laughs> but you know, up here, you know, I can see how that's kind of fun. Maybe at a very important part of the sermon, you want everyone to gasp and you're like, and then, and everyone's like, ah! anyways, that's a, that's a little bit of a side note. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus on the scene, I was so amazed studying this passage of scripture because he lays before us options that are black and white, black and white, right and wrong. And yet 
Jesus came to confound the wise. Uh, in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So there is a reason we are supposed to boast in our weaknesses. Because where we are weak, He is strong. That's even a song. We are weak and He is what? Let's say that. We are weak, but He is strong. Oh man, that's a good verse. Good, good, thing, good thing to listen to. I like that. Alright, before we get into Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, you can crack your Bibles. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this wonderful morning. A little bit of cool temperature. I love it. The clouds are in the sky. The wind's blowing. And we're all here in this little church talking about you and your perfect lifestyle, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the eyes to see what you want us to see and the ears to hear what you want us to hear. Jesus, as we open your word, your word that is so powerful, help us to get exactly what you want us to hear. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, 33. If you are there, I'll be reading from the, I think, the NIV. And away we go. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All the hairdressers are like, we'll see about that. Um, and verse 37, finally, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. We'll stop there. So part of understanding Jesus better, which is ultimately our goal, Sometimes he spoke in ways that confounded the wise. And some of you might be wise today and might be a little bit confused. Now, I like to think of myself as a simple person. And so, you know, I don't want to boast in that. But at the same time, you know, maybe it's a weakness and maybe I should boast in that. But if we are to understand Jesus better, it's understanding the question, why is Jesus saying what he is saying? Tough question, I know. If people weren't struggling with something, there was no need for correction. So Jesus obviously said this with a purpose in mind. And the beautiful part is that Jesus understood that his words would not just reach the people he was speaking to directly, but the people that he was going to be heard from for years to come in this amazing book. So guess what? We need correction on oaths and vows as well. So, all right. Um, in Ecclesiastes 1.9, we, this kind of further bolsters that. It says, what has been said will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. So the things that they were struggling with, the oaths back in the day, is the thing that we're going to be struggling with today. 
That's just a little glimpse in that. But why is this important? I mean, last week we talked about murder and adultery and divorce. Those are really heavy issues. And in the same message, we hear Jesus talking about vows. Why is this important? A key phrase, I think, is that vows have the ability to cheapen your character as a Christian. I'm going to say that again. Vows have the ability to cheapen your character as a Christian. Now, why do people start making vows in the first place? Actually, God was their example. They made vows in the first place because God made vows. In Genesis 9, God promises Noah that never again will I destroy all life on the earth with a flood. Never again. And we see that beautiful promise still today uh, in the sky, rainbows. What a cool promise. Like, I wish I could do that. Yeah, I promise I'll be there to help you move. And here's a rainbow. <clears throat> well, okay, that's kind of... But hey, he's God. And what a beautiful way to show that you are serious. Vows aren't necessarily a bad thing because God did it. Hey, why is Jesus then saying, don't make an oath? Don't do it. It's because Jesus is our master teacher. He wants to teach us. He wants to get at the deeper issue which resides inside of our heart. We might not even know we have to deal with something until we hear the piercing words of God that say, you're not exactly perfect, but I want you to be. Um, one, day, one Sunday school teacher said to their class, hey, kids, if I sold my house, if I sold my car, if I had a big garage sale and I earned lots of money and I, and I gave all of that money to the church, would I get to heaven? And the kids, being good Sunday school kids, they're like, no, no way. All right. Well, how about if I cleaned the church? How about if I cleaned it every day, mowed the lawn and yard and kept everything neat and tidy? Would I get into heaven? No, no way. All right. Well, then, kids, how, how can I get into heaven? You know, they paused a little bit until this five-year-old boy shouted out in the back, you got to be dead. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that's right. <laughs> but um, that wasn't exactly what the, that, not the answer the teacher was looking for. And sometimes the answer we think is right is not the answer the teacher is looking for. You know, usually in Sunday school, the, the correct answer is Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's so true. But I mean, honestly, if Jesus is who he is, he's the answer to everything, which is cool. A joke in a way, but also absolute truth. You know, the answer is Jesus. Jesus now, in getting at the core, talking about oaths, something might not seem like, oh, I don't struggle with that. I don't make an oath. I don't do that. Well, it's fine with me. Uh, but Jesus understands our hearts so well. He understands the duplicity of the human heart. Sometimes people make an oath in order to conceal an attempt to deceive. You know, you get those emails from, uh, you know, that prince in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> You know, I, I swear to you, we can't stop making money, and we just want your bank account number so that we can give you some. I swear it's true, you know. 
who here has experienced that little email or any kind of fraudulent email for that matter? I, I need you to email me back, you know, because I have something valuable for you. you know? Oh, man. Now, we might not go to that extent where we're guilty of emailing people, you know, and saying, we, we can't stop making money and I want to send you some and I'm going to steal your bank account number. But by contrast, in the, if that is the world's standards of people who make oaths, Jesus' disciples, and therefore us, we are to be people of such integrity of character and truthfulness of heart that whatever ever we say is absolutely believable and dependable. We might know the, these people of integrity because, I mean, you know, if you're moving, you'll have a person come up to you and be like, yeah, dude, I'll help you move. I'll be there. I got a truck. Yeah, I'll show up and, yeah, I'll be there. When are you doing it? Yeah, eight, uh, seven, sure. Oh, yeah, I'll be there, I swear. And, you know, they might not show up. And you know this because they've done this to you in the past. Whereas so-and-so comes up and they're that person that you just know and trust. And you're like, hey, when are you moving? I have a truck. I will be there. And you're like, yes, I can count on that person. That's awesome. This is what Jesus wants us to be. Christians. He doesn't want people to be, they, they, he doesn't want people to have to swear in order for you to believe, in order for other people to believe you. So a person, I love this, a person of integrity is one who in daily conversation is so truthful, dependable, genuine, guileless, and reliable that his or her words are supposed to be believed without an oath. That's the kind of person that we want to be. That's the person that God desires us to be. Sometimes we use oaths as scapegoats. Um, oftentimes, you know, it, I feel like it's more of, I, I honestly don't know of a lot of people that would say they would promise to be somewhere and not show up. But Jesus obviously thought otherwise, not thought, knew, because he can see our very hearts. So he goes to the heart of the law's intent regarding oaths. When he says to his disciples and us, we're not to swear at all. Uh, swearing doesn't mean profanity. Uh, it's kind of the message title kind of seems swearing. Um, swearing doesn't mean profanity or cursing, but invoking God's name or substitutes for it. Like, I swear by heaven, as they did in the day. Or I swear by the earth or by my head. You know, we're not supposed to do that. It shouldn't be this way, which is why Jesus gives it to us. And James Jesus' half-brother passes on this saying of Jesus in James 5.12, saying, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, not by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Woo! We don't want to be condemned. Because we're still held accountable for the things that we will swear that we will do for the Lord. I swear I'll do that, Lord. You're going to be held accountable for that. So just say a simple yes or no. Let's try for a simple yes or no. Okay? Okay. When I say okay, say okay. Okay? All right. Yeah, that sounds better. I feel more confident in that. <laughs> Matthew 5.38. If you are following along, follow with me. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, 
do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We'll stop there. Now this new line in the sand may bother some of you as it did me. Really? If someone comes up and just slaps me across the face, I'm just supposed to be like, okay. And turn, man, okay, calm down. (laughs) If we know anything at all, it's that we should trust Jesus, right? I mean, maybe he knows something that we don't. Hmm? (laughs) Maybe. All right, now now I want to get into what he was saying. Uh, The eye for eye, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth was actually a mercy law. Interesting. A mercy law in the Old Testament, and it gave parameters for judgment that protected the one who first did the wrongdoing. Hmm. What, what does that mean? All right, back in the day, before this mercy law, if someone slapped you, just smack right there, it would be up to you who got smacked to determine the worst punishment imaginable for that person. Oh, he slapped me. I'm going to. Get him back. Oh, man. Oh. Imagine Eric just coming up on stage and just laying one across my face. Jimmy, I do not like your teaching. Oh. Whoa. And, you know, he slapped me. Oh, well, I might say, nobody likes your teaching. And you teach every week. Oh. Well, Eric might say, I'm the pastor. Everybody likes my teaching. And just kind of going back, well... Maybe you should have been a plumber. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you shouldn't have been a pastor either. And just, ah, he's getting mad and angry. Oh, okay, calm down. <clears throat> Does anyone else see the problem with this exchange? Yeah, seems a little bit bad, right? You know, just two people screaming at each other. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, this is something that people back people deal with. They deal with this same exact issue. No, not this same exact issue, but similar issues. Not maybe this exact exchange. But has someone ever cut you off on the freeway? And you wish that mercy law wasn't there. I want to flatten their tires. <laughs> or, oh man. All right, well, has someone ever interrupted you? During a conversation. And you're just like, I want to flatten their tires. (laughs) Or, I don't know, has someone ever been like rough with you? Maybe on the field of sports and you're just like, they blew the whistle. (laughs) They blew the whistle. I'm going to flatten their tires. I don't know why that's a common theme. It just happens to be the case. Um, Now, we're going to watch a video clip of... uh, Brooke Gibbs is this guy's name. He's a modern-day bullying expert, and I think he gives us a fresh kind of picture of how we are supposed to essentially deal with people that are difficult in our lives. Um, So, an example of how to turn the other cheek. Go ahead and roll it. 
Now, this game, I want you to call me an idiot. I'm going to try to get you to stop eating me. You can make fun of my high forehead, my pointy nose. You can make fun of my ugly clothes. Here's how the game works. It's pretty brilliant. I'm going to try to get you to stop being mean. If I can stop you from being mean, I win. But if I can't stop you and you keep being mean to me, you win. Okay? So the goal is not to give up. You call me an idiot and you keep making fun of me. I'm going to try to stop you. On the count of three, everyone say action. One, two, three. Okay. Call me an idiot. You're an idiot. What'd you say? You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're ugly. It hurts my feelings. Yeah, like I care. I'm going to get you in trouble. Sure, short stuff. <laughs> I'm taller than you. Shut up. <laughs> you call me an idiot one more time and I will win you kick your face. Like I care. Like you can do anything in those clothes. <laughs> These clothes are freaking awesome, okay? Sure, plaid and sweater vest. Oh, you have eyes. You can see. Stop being me. I hate your face. Stop being me. I hate blonde people. All right, give her a big hand clap. She did great. All right, now hold on, hold on. Good job. All right. I tried to stop you. I couldn't. You did a great job. Um, we're going to play one last time. Same rules. You can call me an idiot. I'm going to try to stop you. Don't let me stop you, okay? You keep being mean to me. Do you think I can stop her? No. No. All right. I'll try. Here we go. On the count of three, everyone say action. One, two, three. Go ahead and call me an idiot. You're an idiot. Oh, you think I'm an idiot? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I do stupid things. That's true. Yeah, you do. You always do stupid things. You know. You're so smart. You're so lucky. Yes, I am. You're awesome. Thank you. And you're not. I know. We, we established that. Go, look, my happiness is not based on whether you think I'm cool or not. I'm going to be happy even if you hate my guts. Okay. <laughs> and I'll always be nice to you, sweetheart. Okay. No. Oh, that's awesome. I love that video. Um, okay, so this guy is Brooke Gibbs. He's a cool dude. I, I think I think what his techniques are are essentially biblical. Being kind, be, being there to actually love your enemy. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, you know, don't confuse this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Turning the other cheek... Uh, Back then, a slap was an insult to um, your character, essentially. A slap was something, it was more like an insult, like the Frenchman taking off his glove and slapping you in the face. Just, you know, it wasn't necessarily a moment where you're threatened physically. Now, if you were ever to be threatened physically, I don't doubt that you would probably start wanting to defend yourself. Someone's just punching you in the face. You're like, let me turn the other cheek. Come on, stop it. It's not about that. It's not about that. I mean, there's, there's moments of danger. This is turning the other cheek in light of maybe someone who thinks poorly of themselves and they don't like you. They're like, you know what? That person is better than me and I don't like it. And they slap you. Arr, insult you with 
just things that you don't want to hear. And, you know, they might not like the way that it comes out of their mouths as well. However, it gives them a source of power over you. And you need to disarm that. And the only way that you can do that is perhaps maybe turn the other cheek like this, like that. You're just like, you know, I'm an idiot sometimes. <laughs> you're right. But, you know, you're pretty smart. You know, you, you, you got a career, you know, you, you dress well. It just disarms them. And this technique is courtesy of none other than our Heavenly Father, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. So I don't know about you guys, but it's easy for me to blow things out of proportion because as much as I wish to be the person on the other side getting slapped, I'll turn the other cheek. Occasionally, I might be the person doing the slap, as, as uh, I assume some of us here might be guilty of. And I'm not pointing fingers. I don't think any one of you are here. Actually, it's other churches that do that. <clears throat> We're a good church here. <laughs> the light shines on us and the cross is... Um, anyways, <clears throat> Jesus knows the tendency of the human heart, though. This, this law, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, was put in place so that people wouldn't blow things out of proportion and just end up killing the other person because he burnt your toast or something like that. That's what Jesus was intending to, out, to get out with, with the mercy law. And then he's calling us to this higher standard of saying, you know, you've heard, you know, there's eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. Turn the other cheek. Don't even do that mercy law where you're just getting even. That's it. Turn the other cheek. Let's turn the other cheek. Matthew five forty three. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Finally, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know if that last verse throws you guys as hard as it threw me, but when I first read it, I was like, really? Be perfect. <laughs> Great. Uh, I can't do that. But before we get to that verse, I'm getting ahead of myself, I want to examine these first five verses. And the way that I look at these verses is it's pretty self-explanatory, but not easy. These are the types of things that do kind of make you mad. Jesus, I don't want to love my enemy. My neighbor is so bad. He hates it when I put up Christmas lights. Can you imagine a neighbor that would do that? <laughs> like, whenever, whenever I drive too fast, you know, he's, stop, slow down. I'm going the speed limit. Calm down. You know, it's hard to love this person. They're so difficult to love. You guys might have people like that in your lives. And if you don't have anybody... Maybe you are that person. 
<laughs> I'm joking. No one in here is bad. It's the other church. <clears throat> now, I want to basically sum up these scriptures in a little story that actually happened to me. And um, in college, if you did attend there, maybe this is someone that you might experience in a job as well. But in college, it was college for me. You have those difficult people, maybe a roommate, maybe someone who always shows up and you don't like it. And you're just like, oh, man, this guy again. In college, I had Dan. Dan was the guy that I had. Dan was a big old guy and he was younger than me and I was like "Mm, man this guy he was a little bit slower than me I I felt like I could outwit him and I was like yeah I can get him like that and I would do that and it was awful bad dark time in my life but the thing is he would come around and he would say something kind of dumb and I'd be like he said something dumb again and I would make it so he heard me and you know it would be this kind of offhand just jabbing thing like oh I got you today and Dan would be like, oh, I got you today, you know, and the shoulder in the hallway. And I'd be like, no, nobody's bigger than me. So I'm like, no. But it came to my attention that this was a wrong way to look at it, wrong way to view it, wrong way to do it. And honestly, it was the Lord that did this in my life. Because one day I went to Dan face to face and I'm like, hey, Dan. You know, Dan, I just, I got a confession to make, man. I, I, I've been really mean to you. I've been, I've been a jerk. And I do not, I, I am not, it's not okay. It's not okay for me to be a jerk to you, okay? So I, I just want to say I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? And Dan's eyes were just like, oh. And his reaction shocked me. He was like, ah, Jimmy, you know what, man? I feel the same exact way. Not that I'm the jerk, uh, but I feel the same way. I, I've been a jerk to you. And I, 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 you know, it's been a problem in my life. And I'm really grateful that you came to ask for, for forgiveness. But honestly, I got to ask you if you'll forgive me. And I was like, what? Because I mean, like, I had myself imposed views of who Dan was. And I'm like, Dan, I'm going to apologize. And, you know, it'll be good for me. But, you know, he'll do whatever. And, but he apologized to me, and guess who was my best friend? <laughs> Frolicking through the hallways. You know, no, no, not that. that that's too far. Um, well, needless to say, we were good pals after that. We would go play sports. We would work out. We would study. We were just like, we're good friends. All because I followed what Jesus said, and I loved my enemy. Now, you guys might have an an opportunity to love an enemy. And this enemy won't return that love like Dan did to me. But the thing is, it's still a command because it's not about us making other people perfect, though that may help and we may be a tool in that process. We are supposed to be the ones who strive for perfection ourselves. We are the ones who are to love our enemies. We're not supposed to say, and you're supposed to love me. That's not our job. We are supposed to love our enemy. Now, it's uh, in the first verse that we read, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor is a command in the Bible, a command. But hate your enemy was never a command in the Bible because God hates sin, not the sinner. And I think that's beautiful. And I think that's just who God is. 
But a lot of people blew it out of proportion and they said, well, God hates sin and this person's a sinner. And so he's of sin and so God hates him. So hate the sinner. Yeah. And needless to say, we take the things that God gives us perfectly and corrupt it into something that it's not. We do this time and time again with all, almost anything good and we take it and turn it into something bad. But Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. And this might be especially hard in light of such tragic events. How are we supposed to do that? But once again, we turn and look at Jesus and we say, like, hey, you know more than me, right? <laughs> I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to do what you say. And maybe things will turn out the way that he wants it in our lives. Continuing on, I'm going to go ahead and get started on this last verse that is the hardest thing for me. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There may be reasons why you might feel uncomfortable at this verse. I've come up with five reasons I'm uncomfortable with this verse, and I'd like to share them with you. One, okay, the magnitude this verse holds. Be perfect, therefore, as God is perfect. Huh. Two, maybe it implies that we can actually attain a state of perfection in this life. We can't be perfect in this life. Like, I'm a sinner. What? I, I'm a, ah. Maybe you're confused like I am. Three, maybe you are uncomfortable because it presents a goal that is unattainable and it sounds like wishful thinking. Really? Are we going to wishful thinking now? That's what Christianity is? Oh, maybe you're feeling uncomfortable. Maybe it's just me. Four, maybe you're uncomfortable because you're thinking of the process of becoming perfect that could possibly be measurable and it's like a grading sheet and you're like, oh, A plus or C or F. Um, and you're thinking that you don't really want this in your life, keeping up, what is that, the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And you're just like, man, like this guy's better. Oh, I got to keep up. And then it maybe stirs in you something that's a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, right, Mike? Oh, man. Five. <laughs> the fifth reason maybe you're uncomfortable at the whole concept of Christ likeness. Can I really be like Christ? Wow, that sounds hard. Is it even possible? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now let me ask you a question. When Jesus said this, does Jesus actually expect his disciples to be perfect? Yes, he does. Could they do it? No, they could not. They could not be perfect. Three things about this verse that you have to know. I'm giving you guys all sorts of numbers today. But the first thing is, it's a command. This verse is a command. What? <laughs> Why are you commanding me to be something that I cannot be? Why are you commanding me to do something that I cannot do? The best part about this verse is it was never about our ability to be perfect. It was never about that. And that takes us to the second thing that you have to know about this verse. It's a promise. 
It's not just a command, it's a promise. Wait, it's a promise? Matthew uses the future tense in this verse, and it may appear in some of your Bibles as, you shall be perfect. Oh, well, that's a relief, you know, if we shall be perfect. Why didn't you go there in the first place, Jimmy? Because we are not there yet. We are not there yet. Because it's not only a command. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not just a promise saying you shall be perfect, but it's also a statement of hope. Wow. You shall be perfect. A good term we can turn to when dealing with the magnitude of this verse is Restful dissatisfaction. Restful dissatisfaction. (laughs) Okay, so at any one point in my life, I want to be satisfied with what God has been doing in my life, yet I want to be dissatisfied so much so that I press on to complete maturity. I accept my imperfections, as all of us should, yet we press on to perfection in light of that promise, in light of that command, promise, and statement of hope. Be perfect as God is perfect. Wow. So we strive. We strive to this perfection. (laughs) I like that restful dissatisfaction because we can rest in the fact that we are saved. If we know who Jesus is, what he did for us, and how we are so incapable of doing what he did. And we rest in that. But we realize, hey, I'm still flesh here. I'm still a sinner. And so we're dissatisfied because we want to keep going and keep striving for that perfection. But we rest. But we're dissatisfied. But we rest. But we're dissatisfied. (laughs) It's hard. But hey, being a Christian isn't easy. Being a Christian is actually probably more difficult than if you were to not. But ultimately, if you are a Christian, you have an eternal hope. I'm getting ahead of myself. (sighs) Okay, we're doing things right now on this earth, good or bad. We do them both. We're still sinners, but hey, we're Christians, so occasionally we do a good thing. Everything we do, good or bad, will be seen in heaven. (laughs) Some of us are biting our nails. Some of us are flicking our hair. Yes, we'll be seen in heaven. Maybe you should be biting your nails because everything you do, thankfully, will, will be seen in heaven, but thankfully it will be filtered through the perfect blood of Jesus. Wow. Jesus is doing so much for us. Though some of the things that we do are, as is labeled in Scripture, wood, hay, and stubble. The things we do will be put before the fire of perfection that burns bright from God. And God God looks at us. And the things that we did, oh yeah, I I, I opened the door for, you know, this girl that I really liked. 
maybe not getting a reward in heaven for that one. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I helped someone with groceries. You know, these are like works. You know, James talks about, show me your faith by your works. I think that that's great. But at the same time, we are not accountable for salvation because Jesus is that. Continuing on, some things in our life will come through this perfecting fire. Believe it or not, some things will come through as precious stones jewels for our crown some things will be burnt wood hay stubble is gone don't worry about it but now we look at the things we look at the things that come through the fire as jewels for the crown to decorate and then in the perfect picture of pure worship we throw it before the one who's worthy and that's jesus i'm not getting anything because of myself I am getting everything because of Jesus. That beautiful moment that every human strives for, even if they didn't know that they needed it, is recognition from the Father, from God, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Paul says, I run to win the prize. There's a bunch of runners out there. Only one gets the prize. And they run for a perishable crown. Back in the day, it was like leaves. Now it's a gold medal. But now we run to win the prize. Not salvation, because we have that in Jesus. But the prize. And that's the crown of righteousness. Praise the Lord. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's my challenge today. (laughs) And that's your challenge too. I'm going to invite the worship team up to close out the morning in song. I'm excited to praise Jesus for all He has done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. I'm so blessed to hear your words. You have said so many things to encourage us to live a life that's worthy of the calling, the perfect Christian. We can't get there in this life, Lord, but you've given us the amazing tools, the amazing gifts from your heavenly realm to strive for this perfection, ultimately keeping our eyes on you and heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do for us. I pray that you would help us get a glimpse of the journey we're supposed to walk, encouraging others as we go, but ultimately keeping our eyes focused on you. We love you, Jesus. And we want to say this prayer this morning in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.